0: are listening to Light Hearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell-Shaw, chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, mom, photographer, and teacher. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, hey, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there.
0: Today is August 22nd, 2021, and this is episode 133 of Lighthearted. We have two guests today. First, we'll talk with Greg Stone, president of the Lighthouse Inn on Cape Cod, and then we'll be talking with our good friend Ralph Krugler of the Hillsborough Inlet Lighthouse in Florida about two new books he has out. So again, this is August 22nd. Has anything interesting happened on the State Lighthouse history, Michelle?
1: Yes. The original St. Augustine Lighthouse in Florida toppled into the ocean on August 22, 1880. Luckily, it had been replaced in 1874 by the 165-foot-tall brick tower that still stands today. The site of the original lighthouse is now underwater.
0: The American science fiction writer Ray Bradbury was born in Illinois on August 22, 1920. He once said, quote, "...don't think. Thinking is the enemy of creativity." It's self-conscious, and anything self-conscious is lousy. You can't try to do things. You simply must do things, end of quote. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about the Lighthouse Inn and today's guest.
1: Sure, Jeremy. The town of Dennis, Massachusetts, is bounded by Cape Cod Bay on the north and Nantucket Sound to the south. The Bass River separates West Dennis from South Yarmouth. The Dennis side of the river once had salt works and facilities for building small vessels, and many West Dennis residents were involved in fishing and coastal trade. As maritime traffic in the area increased, so did the demand for a lighthouse.
0: Congress appropriated $4,000 for a lighthouse in 1850. Oxen hauled building materials across the local marshes, and the Bass River Light went into service on April 30th, 1855, With a fifth order fresnel lens displaying a fixed white light. The lighthouse consisted of a two-story wood frame dwelling with the lantern mounted on the roof.
1: The government deemed the lighthouse unnecessary after the advent of the Cape Cod Canal and a new automatic light was established on the Bass River West Jetty at the entrance to the river. The lighthouse was extinguished on June 15, 1914. The property was soon sold at auction.
0: Harry K. Noyes of the Noyes Buick Company in Boston used it as a summer residence for a while. Noyes expanded the main house and added several new buildings. In 1938, the property was bought by State Senator Everett Stone and his wife Gladys. The Stones began to have overnight guests and their hospitality became so popular that they soon opened it to the public as the Lighthouse Inn. In
1: 1939, a night stay for two, including three meals, cost $5. Everett and Gladys Stone's son, Bob, became the first head of the food service for the inn. Bob Stone hired three waitresses from Wheaton College. One of them was Mary Packard of Brockton, Massachusetts. Bob and Mary married in 1942 and they managed the inn for many years. In
0: 1989, the Stone family had their lighthouse relighted as a seasonal aid to navigation with a 300 millimeter optic providing a white light that flashes every six seconds. The relighting took place on August 7th, which is National Lighthouse Day. The light, officially designated the West Dennis Light, now operates each summer.
1: Members of the Stone family remain involved with the inn's operation today. Bob and Mary's son, Greg, is president and his wife, Patricia, is the general manager. There's a large summer staff.
0: I spoke with Greg Stone recently. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking today with Greg Stone, who is the president of the Lighthouse Inn uh, in West Dennis on Cape Cod. Thank you so much for being with me today, Greg.
2: I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So how are things on Cape Cod? Uh, a little cloudy, but it's still a nice beach day. We've got uh, probably 150 people on the property and enjoying the waterfront of the Lighthouse. And it's beautiful.
0: So are things uh, more or less back to normal at this point at the end or getting there?
2: We have pretty much gotten back to normal. We are doing probably more guest room sales than we've done in quite a while. And our restaurant has been very busy because we serve most of our meals outside mm. and always have. So people yeah. are comfortable here and our accommodations are spread out. So um, that makes it comfortable for people.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I first visited the Lighthouse Inn about 20 years ago when I wrote an article about it. I was uh, lucky enough to meet your mother and interview her at that time. I've been back several times over the years. I've stayed there overnight a couple of times, and uh, I really love uh, staying there. One of the last times I was there, you gave me a tour of the Lighthouse part of the building, which was great. We explained a little bit about it in the introduction, but could you explain uh, for everybody how your parents came to own the Lighthouse Inn?
2: Certainly. It was actually my father and grandfather who decided to purchase the property in 1938. It had been for sale for about nine years. So if you think 1938, how many people are buying waterfront property after the Great Depression? The mm. country still hadn't recovered very well. Remote oceanfront property really wasn't what it is today. Yeah. Yeah. They each put $1,000 down, and they got one of the largest uh, loans from Worcester County National Bank that anyone had loaned an an individual at the time of $19,000. So with that, my grandfather was going to develop the property and sell it off. They decided to take in some overnight guests to help pay the mortgage. By doing that, so many of the guests wanted to return the following summer that uh, my grandmother had said, you know, really would be a good idea if we kept this held on and developed it into guest room cottages and uh, the larger buildings having multiple uh, guest rooms in it.
0: And your your mother was originally a a waitress, is that right? She was hired to be a waitress. She
2: was one of of three uh, waitresses hired from Wheaton College, uh, interviewed by my father and my grandmother. And uh, so that, she was a waitress in 1939 and in 1942, they had a wedding and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Speaking of that, you've obviously been associated with the lighthouse all your lighthouse, in, I should say, all your life. Uh, when you were growing up, did you spend a lot of time at the inn?
2: Uh, we lived here right on the mm-hmm. property. My parents raised five children in the basement and it ah. is literally a basement. uh and it's under the old section of the lighthouse and uh that was the original 1855 lighthouse yeah they raised us here and we just loved it it was a great playground and as soon as uh we could be put to work we were my first job was turning on the lights uh, going around to all the different places uh throughout the seven acres to uh put the lights on on the buildings
0: Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that happens automatically these days that somebody doesn't have to
2: (laughs) switch each one on individually. Is that right? Yeah, we have. They're all on timers now or or, electric eyes. So as is our lighthouse light, uh, which, as you know, we relit in 1989 uh, in the 200th anniversary of the lighthouse service i want to get
0: back to that in a few minutes i definitely want to talk about that let's uh let's start by talking a little bit more about the uh the history of the lighthouse which began its life as the bass river light in 1855 uh are there any particular highlights of the history of the lighthouse or its keepers uh, and or its keepers that kind of stand out for you
2: one of the uh keepers i understand raised nine children here and uh You know, in the winter, this is an awfully cold building, and I just don't know how they did it. You know, fireplaces are wonderful, but they're extremely inefficient. And uh, the the wind that blows through this place uh, at that time would have been something. So to raise nine children, they must have all been sleeping in the same beds to keep warm. That's all I can think of. But what a great way to spend uh, the uh, warmer weather days here. And there was one of the gentlemen who had put a, uh, lantern in his dormer over on Bass river. The reason they put that light in the dormer is because the mariners felt like they needed a lighthouse here. And this was prior to 1855 and before Congress appropriated the money, then he went on to be one of the first light keepers. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he was certainly instrumental in getting it going and, um, was here for quite a few years. So I
0: remember when I interviewed your mother about 20 years ago, your mother, Mary Stone, she told me an interesting story about uh, World War II there. What, what did they do during World War II, people staying at the inn?
2: Well, there's a uh, a rock uh, revetment about three quarters of a mile off the shore. They didn't have a hadn't had a lot of practice at dropping things out of planes. So they were dropping these uh, target bombs out onto that revetment and they would, that would flash. And I believe it would also leave a trail of smoke when it was a direct hit so that the pilots could see when they hit it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there is, uh, one rather large, uh, blowout of that uh, revetment where they actually dropped a live bomb on it Oops. and it blew out uh, the middle section on the back side wow
0: huh I remember your mother saying that the guests would sit in their lawn chairs or whatever out in the, the beach there and cheer the the, the uh, dropping of the the bombs I'm right. um, glad no live bombs fell on the beach a friend of mine uh, Simon. Ponsart Roberts, who grew up at a couple of Massachusetts lighthouses, Cuddy Hunk and uh, West Chop on Martha's Vineyard. As a girl, uh, there was a birthday party going on for somebody in her family, and they were doing target practice. The bombs were supposed to hit a nearby island, but they hit the wrong island, and they were landing in their yard, the Ponsart family's yard, and they all had to run for cover. (laughs) cover. So it's really lucky nobody was seriously hurt that time. So
2: Yeah. Well, on about 30 or 40 years ago, my cousin was diving out on this uh revetment and uh, he found one of the bombs and it's only maybe a foot long quite heavy and we have displayed that up in the light uh by the lighthouse
0: if it was ever live it's definitely not not live anymore right i hope correct interesting so uh also another thing i talked about with your mother and with other people there's the history of storms there hurricanes etc Uh, what uh, hurricanes or other storms really stand out in the history of the place?
2: Well, the uh, 44 hurricane was devastating to this property. Um, My father had just built a uh, 80 seat dining room uh, down on the first floor on the ground level. And at that time the beach came right up to the building and um, all that was left was one row of cinder blocks that remained after the hurricane the rest of it was shattered sticks two by fours that went up into the marsh Mm. and so after that he got a uh, engineering firm out of Boston to design a building that could uh, the outside walls would break away when the water hit and we experienced how well that worked in uh, 1954 and there were Two, I believe within two weeks in 1955. Mm. Uh, my mother was actually shooting a video of the second hurricane in 55 mm. through the broken window from the storm <laughs> two weeks earlier. Wow. Uh, and then um, in my lifetime in 1991, Hurricane Bob was uh, pretty devastating. We had every wave breaking onto the building and in two places coming into the building and there were uh, rapids on the rivers leaving the building uh, for about six hours. So we had just an amazing amount of water coming through this building. Wow.
0: Uh, Let me ask you, speaking kind of along those lines, uh, do you feel the property is increasingly in danger at all from rising sea levels and or uh, erosion of the beach there?
2: Well, we're very fortunate. Um, my father had put in a, a uh, breakwater out in front of the property in 1979. And the design of that breakwater kind of scoured out our beach. So about seven years ago, I started uh, getting permits to change the design of the breakwater. And now we have three tea groins and uh, embayment beaches. We nourished those those embayment beaches with about seventy two hundred cubic yards of sand, which is to give you an idea. Those that uh, took uh, about seven weeks at twenty truckloads a day, six days a week. Wow! Uh, bringing in the sand, and mm-hmm. so now we've got quite a large beach out in front, and uh, that has really stabilized and is. Performing as the, the same way it was designed. So that is given us quite a lot more protection than we've had mm-hmm. on a high tide uh, during some winter storms. We've seen the water come up close within 40 feet of the building, but it has not come in yet. But we haven't experienced a major hurricane since that redesign.
0: So let's talk about the accommodations at the inn. I know there's a number of different types of accommodations there, but could you give us a a basic description of what's available there?
2: Certainly. For those lighthouse enthusiasts who would like to stay in the old section of the lighthouse, we do have two suites. We just kind of changed one of the designs this year. Uh, And then another room that is uh, smaller, but all three of those are right on the waterfront. They have a deck going out to the water. So that's the the guest rooms that are immediately in the old section of the lighthouse. And then spread out over about 30 buildings, we have 68 guest rooms in all different types of sizes. Some of them are cottages for two uh, that are a one-bedroom bath cottage. There are others that are two bedrooms, two baths, and a living room. And for really large families, uh, three bedrooms, three baths, and a living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, presently, none of them have kitchens, uh, but we are looking at maybe redesigning uh, some of those to have kitchens so people can come for maybe a week or two uh, instead of just, you know, three or four days and have all the meals at the lighthouse.
0: Mm, that sounds good. Yeah, my wife and I stayed in the central building one time and I was there with the tour mm-hmm. another time and I stayed in one of the, uh, the outer cottages that time Mm -hmm. so I've experienced both and just to make it clear we talked about it in the introduction but for people um, who are listening right now just to make it clear this the original building in 1855 uh, was relatively small and has been added on to a lot over the years so you can kind of see if you look carefully at it you can kind of uh, tell where the original building uh, began and ended
2: the 220-seat uh, dining room kind of uh, makes the old section a little bit smaller uh, and not as noticeable, but it is the central section of the, of the main lobby areas and the public rooms and the restaurant and the cocktail lounges.
0: What else is on the property for people? And obviously there's a, a beach, and is there also a swimming pool?
2: Yeah, we have quite a large uh, swimming pool uh, and snack bar. Uh, and just outside the, uh, the swimming pool is very popular for families as a mini golf that the parents can watch their kids right through the uh, pool enclosure glass playing mini golf. We have a basketball court, a tennis court, a large playground with a pirate ship and shuffleboard mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, a lot of open grass area so people can play the games they want by having all of that green space it's really nice to uh, uh give people the room to to roam around and probably have about 80 rabbits on the property so kids are always chasing rabbits
0: like <laughs> we have 80 rabbits in our yard uh, this summer it seems to be a bump, bumper crop of rabbits this yes. year for some reason so uh, our listeners who of course are pretty much lighthouse aficionados uh, would be interested in the answer to this question if people are staying at the inn can they visit the the central building the old lighthouse and climb up into the lantern of the lighthouse
2: uh, up until last year we gave tours to anybody whether they were staying here or uh, even if they weren't staying here they just wanted to come and have a tour of the lighthouse but it's such a small uh, enclosed area that we had to stop all tours last year and this yeah. year and hopefully in the future we'll be able to resume but right now we we have discontinued those uh, until it's a little bit more comfortable to be in a uh, six by 10 <laughs> yeah. room. And of course, the lantern room is is very tight. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, I've been in there a couple few times. So uh, yeah, well, that's completely understandable what you're saying. But I hope maybe, maybe by next year, uh, hopefully. <laughs>
2: with any <laughs> yeah. luck.
0: Yeah, sure. exactly. Exactly. Uh, there's also a restaurant, of course, you mentioned that a few minutes ago. Is the restaurant open to the public or is it just for people staying there? Or how does that work?
2: Certainly, we uh, we have we're open to the public. Uh, We have inside seating and and outside seating on the deck and the lawn Uh, It's very popular for uh, people who aren't staying here to to come and have breakfast, lunch or dinner. Mm -hmm. And on Sunday afternoons, if you're doing anything this summer, you should come down and see my band play from two to five.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that.
2: The band uh, does 60s and 70s classic rock and roll.
0: Cool. And what's the name of the band? The Class Hicks. <laughs> the Class Hicks? Yes. H-I-C-K-S? Yes. Playing Excellent. classic
2: 60s and 70s rock and roll.
0: Yeah. And tell me again when when you play there.
2: Uh, from two to five uh, out by the beach on Sunday afternoons.
0: Okay. I hope I can make it. I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but uh, I'll put it on my calendar for, for next year. All right. Well, year. we're
2: going to try to keep going.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> been it's been too long since I've been there, so I, I really want to make it back. I haven't been on Cape Cod, jeez, uh, two two summers now, which is kind of unusual well, for me. Yeah,
2: you're not very far away, so I, I know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I've been on Cape Cod a zillion times over the years. So, do you also have weddings and other events at the
2: inn? We certainly do. Uh, We do some small weddings in uh, July and August. And then in the spring and fall, we uh, can do weddings up to 220 people. Mm -hmm. And we're doing between three and five each weekend in the spring and fall. In the summertime, it's a little bit too busy with regular business to do the large weddings. So, But we can still do small weddings during that time.
0: Mm -hmm. Along with
2: other kinds of functions birthday parties, family reunions, we do it all.
0: Yeah. And on that subject, I, I, we should probably mention there is a website, of course, for The Inn. And I imagine there's information about weddings and so forth and tells you who to contact, uh, all about that. What, what is the website for The Inn?
2: That's uh, Okay,
0: That's pretty easy. I know a lot of our listeners like me are very familiar with Cape Cod. But for anybody who maybe uh, has never been there, just, I know it's hard to put in a few words, but what else is there to do within a a short drive of uh, the inn there?
2: Well, we've got uh, about six public golf courses. Um, We have, of course, beaches on all sides of the Cape and every every side of the Cape is different. We face Nantucket Sound, which uh, has warm water that's fed by the Gulf Stream, uh, Cape Cod Bay is quite cold water, about 55 degrees, as well as the outer Cape, uh, which is would be the outer arm of the Cape if you're ever looking at a map. There's lots of mini golf and antiquing and great shops, uh, Chatham, Hyannis, Provincetown.
0: I know there's great seafood, of course. And
2: wonderful seafood. And if you, uh, you know, can get out and catch a fish, we'll cook it for you.
0: Right, and by my count, there's not sure the number off the top of my head, but there's quite a few accessible lighthouses within a a couple of hours of where you are.
2: Well, yeah, they're really. uh, We've had people that come and stay with us, and then they'll go visit the other lighthouses. All of them within thirty or forty minutes. So, yeah, there's lots to do.
0: It's a great destination for for lighthouse buffs and anybody else too. You touched on it a a little while ago, but could you say a little bit more about why you, uh, I I believe you were the main person behind it, why you decided that uh, the light should be relighted as an aid to navigation? Uh, How did that happen?
2: Well, I was uh, out uh, fishing off of Pomponesa one day, which is, oh, maybe 25 miles west of here towards Falmouth. And we were having such a great time fishing that we just fished right through till dark and uh on the way back to try to avoid all of the uh hazards along the way we decided to take the outside route which uh put us about eight miles offshore we were cruising right along and trying to pick up the aids to navigation uh, out in front of bass river but all that's there is a little blinking uh buoy red light two miles offshore and those lights just blended heavily with the uh the lights on shore so we never saw that we overshot and started seeing chatham lighthouse and we knew we had gone too far so we yeah, <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah we came back in uh, because there aren't any rock hazards out uh, on that side of the property so um when we came back close to shore we were cruising along and thought you know what we should have our own light in our lighthouse
0: <laughs> yeah
2: So we got permission from the Coast Guard to relight it as a private aid navigation. We're on all the charts and of course, all the GPS uh, uh, navigation instruments on boats. I'm in the process of possibly um, getting a brighter LED light on there because uh, we're still running on a uh, halogen 100 watt bulb that gets magnified by the um, lens. But the LEDs take less energy and, and they would also be able to be seen further out.
0: Yeah. But and uh, what is, uh, well, first of all, it's uh, designated officially the West Dennis light. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So char- characteristic of uh, one second flash every six seconds.
0: OK, so the lighthouse started its life as the Bass River light. And a lot of people obviously know it as the lighthouse in, but the, the light itself as an it aid to navigation is now the West Dennis light.
2: Correct. The Coast Guard uh, designated that change. They didn't want to get it confused with uh, the Bass River beacon. It's not a beacon, but a, a green and a red. There is a green on, a, on the end of the Bass River jetty.
0: So what sorts of restoration projects have been done there in recent years?
2: Well, uh, after 91, we rewired the entire dining room area and, and uh, public area. It was time. And then as far as all of our guest rooms, uh, we're constantly refurnishing and recarpeting and yeah. re- always painting. Lots, sure. of paint.
0: Oh yeah, of course. It's never done. And I know uh, I actually, uh, I wrote an article that I told you about 20 years ago, but I'm not sure exactly when it was three or four years later, maybe there was a pretty major project uh, restoration of the lantern of the lighthouse, uh, the lantern room. The yeah, whole, well, we, yeah.
2: Quite a bit of the glass had been broken probably from the building settling over the years. Uh, So we replaced a lot of that glass. There's one or two panes that have cracked again. So it's time to to find the right person to get get that done. But I've uh, repainted the light myself uh, about three times in the past 10 years. I figure I'm really the only guy I trust with to go up (laughs) and paint it, so...
0: Okay, I was going to ask you about that. I think I saw a picture of you in one article up there. painting. Yeah,
2: we, uh, you know, we use the the bright red uh, Mm -hmm. Rust-Oleum. We try to keep it up so that it doesn't deteriorate anymore.
0: Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that sort of thing? It's kind of a break from the the daily uh, routine, I would think.
2: It certainly gets me out of the office.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about younger generations of the Stone family? Are they getting involved with the inn?
2: Well, we've had the next generation, uh, all of them had worked here at one time or another, and then they all went off on their careers, except for my two children who are the youngest of the next generation. And they went away and have worked in other hotels over the years. My son returned, uh, last fall and my daughter's been here working seasonally for the past few years. And then, um, We have the fifth generation uh, that have been working in the dining room for the past three years, and there are six of them this year that of the fifth generation working, Mm -hmm. hostessing and expediting and serving guests in the dining room. It's been uh, a pretty special thing for my family and and my extended family.
0: Yeah. We should mention uh, your wife, of course, is a general manager. Is that her uh, title?
2: She is, yes. And she has um, been working side by side with me for the past 40 years. And uh, so when my son decided he wanted to come back, we thought maybe we could get him to do a lot of her tasks. And uh, so she could maybe retire one of these years.
0: I'm sure the hours you put in from spring through fall must be unbelievable, I would think. You probably well, don't keep track of them so much.
2: No, it's, it would be depressing to keep track.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: No, it's, it's a lifestyle, you know, when, and we just, we take great pride in this, in running this place and, and the, the wonderful employees that we have here are really make a great team. Uh, we've got some great longevity as well as our guests that come back year after year. They really do feel, feel like family. Wonderful to see them each year.
0: That's exactly the experience I've had when I visited there. It feels, uh, you know, even though I'm somebody who only visits there maybe once every few years or whatever, it always feels very homey and friendly and like you're visiting with, with family there. It's a, just a, a really nice, uh, warm feeling to it. So you just maybe kind of answered my last question. I'm going to go ahead and ask you one more question for bonus points. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the last question is, what have you enjoyed most about your long association with the Lighthouse Inn?
2: Well, I've been very uh, privileged to, to be able to make a career uh, at this. And it's been very rewarding for the employees who have made a career along with me through running this place. There aren't many places like this on Cape Cod or in the world, and we feel very uh, special to, to be able to host guests here each year. And uh, we take great pride throughout the winter in refurbishing the, the property and making it as comfortable as possible for uh the uh, when we have the guests return in the summer. And it's really that making memories with our guests and, and uh, with our employees that uh, have been so special.
0: Well, it is a very special place. And I urge everybody listening to to come uh, and stay there and uh, maybe look at making a reservation well ahead of time. How, how far in advance do people generally book for like for the middle of summer? Probably pretty far out, I would think.
2: For those who really uh, want to have a specific time frame, it's best to, to make a, the reservation a year out. But then again, if you want to call, you've got three days in August or mid-August, late August uh, for this year that would be uh, a nice getaway for you. We have those kind of openings as well. Yeah. Um, so if you're flexible, there's more likelihood that you'll be able to find a, a, a time frame that would work for you and, and would be available.
0: Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Well, again, it is a really special place that uh, has a, a place in, in my heart. I've really enjoyed my visits there and you and everybody else there do a wonderful job. So I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It's your busy season. I'm sure you have plenty to do. So I'm going to let you get back to work here. But thank you so much, Greg.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Wonderful to have be on your program, and I hope we can host you soon.
1: To find out more about the Lighthouse Inn on Cape Cod, check out their website at lighthouseinn.com.
0: My history with the Lighthouse Inn goes back about 20 years. As I, I said in the interview with Greg, I've enjoyed staying there a couple of times and the Stone family and everyone else associated with the Inn has always been really helpful and friendly. So we have another guest today, someone who's been a good friend to this podcast and the U.S. Lighthouse Society.
1: Ralph Krugler is the historian for the Hillsborough Lighthouse Preservation Society. He's spent several years researching the history of the light station, and he's put together an extensive book on the subject. Volume 1 is now available, and he also has a new children's book called Let's Visit the Lighthouse.
0: Ralph is also doing research and data entry for the J. Candice Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. I spoke to him recently about his new books. Let's listen to that now. I am speaking this afternoon with my good friend Ralph Krugler, and Ralph has appeared on the podcast a few times, actually, both as an interviewee and... Uh, doing segments on Florida Lighthouse history. Ralph is the historian for the Hillsborough Inlet Lighthouse in uh, Florida, and he has a couple of new books out, which we're going to talk about today. And I should also mention that Ralph does a lot of work on the uh, J. Candice Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog for the U.S. Lighthouse Society as well. So thanks so much for joining me today, Ralph.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: You were involved in something very interesting and and moving this morning. Could you tell us about that?
3: One of the legends of, of lighthouse preservation, is a gentleman named Hib Castleberry, mm-hmm. he and his wife Martha, after their retirements, they moved down to Florida and they helped found our foundation, the Hillsborough Lighthouse Preservation Society, the Florida Keys Reef Lights Foundation, the Florida Lighthouse Association, and a lot of other historical things. Him sadly passed away a couple of years ago, and they had his ashes, and they were waiting for his wife Martha to pass away. He recently did, and their final wish was to be together forever. And so this morning, the family met at the lighthouse grounds, and we chartered the boat that we use for our tours, and we took them out to the Gulf Stream just off the lighthouse, and we had a little ceremony, and they put their ashes to sea, and so now they are traveling the world on the Gulf Stream.
0: Wow. I met Hib Castleberry, uh, I believe in 1999 at a conference in Key West, uh, the Key West Historical Society, which takes care of the lighthouse there in Key West, uh, hosted that. The conference was cut short by a hurricane, actually. <laughs> so it was interesting, but I, I really enjoyed that. And it was great meeting uh, Hib Castleberry back then. So so let's talk about your, your new books. Uh, you have two new books. And uh, First of all, right next to me here, I have uh, the almost complete history of the Hillsborough Inlet Lighthouse. And I'm lucky enough to be one of the select uh, few people who have the entire uh, history all in one volume. And it's, uh, what is it? Something like 640-ish pages, something like that. And let's just say it's heavy reading in the sense that it may be the heaviest book I've ever lifted in my life, but it's, you know, it is without a doubt, the definitive book on that lighthouse. And certainly one of the most comprehensive books I've ever seen on any lighthouse. (laughs) Uh, And I think for the rest of time, uh, if anybody wants to know anything about Hillsborough (laughs) and the lighthouse, they're going to consult that. So uh, it's my understanding that you've just made volume one and, and available. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of three volumes. Do I have that right?
3: Yeah. So for the first edition, I purposely kept it to be one gigantic volume because there was only going to be 100 copies printed off. And I knew it was going to be a daunting task for anybody to try and read it. But uh, being the first edition, I wanted it to be special. Um, for second edition, I wanted to make it more user friendly. Plus, I have uh, more photographs and more information and so what I did was I broke it up into three volumes. The first one goes from 1852, when it was the uh, first uh, proposal for a lighthouse, all the way through up to March 6, 1907, the day before the keepers arrived. Mm-hmm. So that is all about the backstory of how a lighthouse came into being. And believe it or not, there actually is enough to fill 100 and, it, 26 pages of a book. But in that, I put all the technical drawings for the station in there and a couple new photographs as well. Yeah, and um, the second volume is going to go from March seventh, nineteen oh seven, through nineteen thirty nine, the Lighthouse Service era, and yeah. then the third volume is going to be nineteen forty through today, the Coast Guard era.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot of the human history in there as well as a uh, technical and navigational history and everything, which is I love the human history. Uh, you've uh, got a lot of uh, interesting. There's been some interesting personalities in the history of that lighthouse. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is the product of how how many years of uh, research
3: have you been doing? Um, uh, and I'm going to say probably six
0: years now. I see it's uh, copyright 2018 for the volume I'm looking at, but
3: um, yeah, so we started in 15.
0: Yeah, but you've, as you said, you've uh, done some revisions and additions and so forth with the. The new uh, set, yeah. the three-volume set that'll be coming out, and volume one is—is uh, mm-hmm. is that currently available?
3: It is on Amazon now. Yes.
0: Okay. Excellent. The other really important thing I want people to know is that you also have another book that's just come out, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a kids' book, right? Yes. And uh, tell us, tell us about that.
3: It's called "Let's Visit the Lighthouse." It obviously, it's based on Hillsboro. Uh, if you look at the cover, it's a you know, drawing of the lighthouse, but. It really isn't just strictly focused on Hillsborough. It's really for little kids, it's it's told in verse and it's to try and get them engaged in what were lighthouses. How did they operate? What were their point? You know, why were they there? And you know, what were the people like that worked there? You know, it's very simple. Um, and the reason I wrote it was because you know, you get little kids come to the tours all the time and you know, they're excited, they have fun, but their first question is. Can we go down now? Can we go play? You know, so like they don't really, you know, their kids they don't understand, they don't they don't fully grasp it. But what I was hoping to do is that, you know, maybe by us selling it at you know our tours or you know on the gift shop, that they walk away with it and then they start reading to their kid at night, and maybe it becomes that kid's favorite book. And it's gotta be that one story that they have to read over and over. And the parents can do it by heart, but maybe that seed is planted in another kid and goes, hey, you know what? They're whether they're 15 or 16 or 17, whatever. And also like, you yeah, know, I actually, I remember that and lighthouses were pretty neat. And they go back and revisit it and maybe they fall in love with them at some point. Mm-hmm. So that's really the reason why I wanted to do that book.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's great. You know, there's a lot of lighthouse kids books, but most of them are stories about a kid at a lighthouse or a dog at a lighthouse or whatever. So yours is more of a introduction. Uh, what it uh, would be like for a kid visiting the lighthouse, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah which I think is a a great, great subject. And uh, I am in so much in favor of anything that gets kids excited about lighthouses. (laughs) So let me ask you, is this something you think would be of interest to people who work with other lighthouses, or is it very specific to Hillsborough Inlet?
3: Other than the cover being the Hillsborough Inlet lighthouse, that almost everything in there is applicable to lighthouses anywhere. There's like maybe one or two things that like where uh, Thomas Knight built a, a schoolhouse out of his storehouse. So that might have been unique just to Hillsboro, but everything else is, you know, the general, like how did the light turn? Why did they build a lighthouse? So it, I, I, I tried to make it as universal as possible so that if somebody said, you know, like they were in a different state and they saw, you know, a copy of it, they wouldn't say, well, that's not our lighthouse. That's not this. That's not that. It's just a lighthouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so,
0: yeah. Uh, so you wrote the book, of course, but who illustrated
3: it? I found a gentleman online who swore um, that he was fluent in English, uh, but the English that he was fluent in only went as far as his uh, translator went on his uh, on his PC. Yeah, so there was a bit of a communication problem. So, fortunately, it all worked out. Uh, <laughs> but. The language barrier between you know America and Bangladesh, where he was, um, it did pose more problems than I actually anticipated.
0: Well, it looks like it came out came out well. Uh, yeah. So, I'm glad it glad it worked out, but that must have been kind of an interesting experience having yeah, I mean, dealt with uh, <laughs> I've dealt with Google Google translation before myself. I know it's not all, not foolproof by any means, although it it's helpful. But anyway, so your two new books, Let's Visit the Lighthouse, the children's book, and The Almost Complete History of the Hillsborough Wind Lighthouse Volume 1. Have I got the title correct to both of those? Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. (laughs) Okay. So they're both available on Amazon. Are they also available directly from the Lighthouse organization?
3: Like right now, uh, we just have the children's book at our museum. And I'm hoping that they're going to pick up the other one pretty soon as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Good, but they're readily available on Amazon, so that's uh, that's easy enough for everybody. So, so congratulations, Ralph! Uh, on, on not just uh, one book, but two at the same time. That's uh, not too many people can say that. And thank you for all you do for for lighthouses in general, and and uh, for our uh, research catalog for the US Lighthouse. It's it's worth that not everybody can do, and you're, I think, perfectly suited to it because you enjoy Lighthouse research and everything. So again, uh, thank you so much, Ralph. Good luck with the books.
3: Thank you.
1: Thanks to all the members and volunteers of the US Lighthouse Society all around the world. And thanks to the staff at the Society's headquarters at Point No Point Light Station in Washington.
0: I'll be helping to lead a U.S. Lighthouse Society tour in Maine during the first week of October. For information on that and other tours, as well as all the things the Society offers, check out uslhs.org.
1: The author Roy T. Bennett once wrote, and I quote, Be the light that helps others see. It is what gives life its deepest significance, end quote.
0: In the next episode of Lighthearted, we'll be talking with Lisa Nolan and Jerry Abbott of the Block Island Southeast Lighthouse Foundation in Rhode Island. As always, thanks for listening and
1: keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine, let it
3: shine All in my house, I'm gonna let it shine
2: die